0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and boy, do we have another fantastic show for you today. Uh, We're doing this, the Council TV radio program uh, has gone in collaboration with the Trauma Sensitive Awareness Foundation. And we are presenting the Veterans Summit series, the Veterans Summit special series here on KUHS TV radio. We are premiering Part 1 today, uh, and this whole series is all Part 1 of the Veterans Summit, which is a special 10-part interview series dedicated to providing veterans and their loved ones with information, hope, inspiration, and healing. This is a first-of-its-kind summit that will explore cutting-edge treatments and alternative therapies for PTSD, TBI, moral injury, sleep disturbance family conflict emotional trauma and so much more we'll be talking to mental health experts veterans and their advocates we'll be providing answers resources and solutions to bring our warriors home we're starting the dialogue come on and join the conversation and learn more about part two which is going to be debuting in november Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, July 24th through September 25th, right here on kuhsdenver.com. KUHS, the stream, right here in Denver. We are broadcasting live to so many of you that tune into the council every week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and we are here with KUHS, the stream. And we broadcast not only here in Denver, but all across the nation and all across the world. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. KUHS is the stream, and we have some amazing personalities, VDJs, uh, music programs. If you want to come and listen to some great programming, it's right here on KUHSdenver.com. As all of you know, I'm very passionate about uh, veteran issues, Uh, being a, a veteran myself, and Having worked with a number of uh, veterans over the years, and trying to help heal and bring healing to P.T.S. and trauma-related issues, and uh, getting a dialogue to helping to understand what veterans go through, and to to penetrate deeper beyond just the the, the symptomatology of what the, the 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 vets go through when they come back. Uh, a lot of times, the symptoms that you see, anxiety. Uh, depression, uh, hypervigilance, uh, uh, sleeplessness, those things are usually an indicator that there's a deeper problem. Those are symptoms of a larger problem within the soul. Uh, and so we're going to talk more and try to really get our hands around what these wounds are all about, what is really going on and bringing in the, the leading experts Uh, from around the country and around the world to help us to really get a grasp on it for all you veterans out there and all you uh, loved ones as well, so that we can really get a grasp on this and bring healing to this immediately. Today we have a very, very, very special guest. I am thrilled to have him on. His name is Eduardo Duran, Dr. Eduardo Duran. And he is one of the foremost authorities on working with veterans and native populations around the subjects of war and healing soul wounds. Eduardo was born in northern New Mexico at the age of 14. His family relocated to California. He worked in the fields as a migrant farm worker and at age 17 enlisted in the U.S. Navy, where he served for six years on board submarines and other vessels during the Vietnam War. Once he was discharged, he became interested in psychology and began his studies, and at the same time began working for the Navy as an engineering psychologist. Dr. Eduardo Duran has been working as a clinical psychologist for over two decades. Much of his clinical and research work has concentrated on working with the legacy of historical trauma, which is a trauma that occurs in families and is then passed on to the following generation, unless the trauma or soul wounding is dealt with. Through that process, he has learned that wounding of the spirit has been endured by most people in the world, and the lessons learned from this work is relevant to most people presenting with therapeutic issues. Dr. Duran has served as a professor of psychology in several graduate settings, and continues to teach and lecture in community settings all around the world, his book, which we will be talking about today, is called "Healing the Soul Wound." It's a trauma-informed counseling for Indigenous communities. Again, it's healing the soul wound. This book is fantastic. I encourage all of you who are who are who are getting into this material and finding alternative ways to heal. You need to get this book. And his. Uh, website lastly is soulhealing16.com that's soul healing, soulhealing s o u l h e a l i n g the number 16.com welcome to the show eduardo thank you sir oh i'm i'm deeply honored to have you today sir especially after reading your work and listening to uh, some of the interviews that you've had, it's a, it's, a, it's a blessing to have you on the show today. Um, and to talk about healing the soul wound. It's such an important topic, and so many people really uh, are, are miss, don't have the information uh, about what this is about. But before we dive into this, could you share just a little bit more about your background and and why you decided to become a psychologist after your time in the Navy? <clears throat>
1: Well, um, it it wasn't a a, a conscious decision to to have uh, become a psychologist. i never had a five-year plan. Uh, Actually, the first college course I ever took, I took on a a naval base. And and from there, I started taking courses. And, of course, then I I was discharged. And I continued taking courses because the VA at the time would give me... uh, $600 a month if I took six units. So I kept taking six units and pretty soon, uh, they say, you gotta declare a major. And of course, having grown in a uh, pretty uh, crazy family system and then of course the military, even crazier family system, uh, reading Psych 101 and Psychology 200, kind of gave me the idea that maybe I can figure this out Uh, if I major in psychology. And so, uh, you know, that became, uh, you know, the, the path of, uh, of majoring. And, and then, you know, got a bachelor's and, and said, well, might as well go get a master's. And then, and then continued. Uh, by then, I knew that, it, that that's what I wanted to do. But it, it, it was uh, basically happened all by itself, sort of accidental, it seemed like. Now, looking back, it was not accidental at all. Mm. There was mysterious forces that were guiding the whole process all along.
0: Well, I think that's what we often find is that we have uh, certain things that our soul uh, guides us to. There's an inclination, a feeling, a, a compulsion, uh, something that leads us in that direction. And you, were, you, you based a lot of your early studies and education in Western uh, psychology, correct? It was fundamentally Western-based um, ideas, yes?
1: Well, absolutely. Uh, all, my, all my Western training through the PhD... Uh, it's, it's completely Western-based uh, psychology. There was uh, maybe one three-unit course on cross-cultural issues that, that was pretty much very thin. But all of it is the uh, is the Western approach, you know, dealing with psychology and Western philosophy, and uh, and so that was the again the trajectory of the educational pro- process that I was involved in, and. Uh, what threw, threw that off the tracks was when I met my rude teacher, mm-hmm. and uh, he he kind of messed that whole thing up. And, uh, <laughs> right. and so here I was taking all these courses in in uh, diagnoses and treatment, family systems, and he's talking from a whole other perspective, and uh, and that kind of started moving me into the approaches that uh, I work with today.
0: Mm-hmm. Well could you elaborate just a little bit more on that uh, and briefly describe uh, Eduardo the what led you to change? I mean what were the, the significant events that led you to change your clinical practice towards a more traditional indigenous methodology? <clears throat>
1: well the uh you know indigenous methodology has to do with a whole world view uh, a whole way of being in a world that is different than, than western philosophy and uh and a lot of it is based of course on language it's a linguistic issue and most indigenous languages are not based on nouns mm-hmm. and so therefore uh, The whole idea of diagnosing in the way we do in a western way makes no sense to most uh, native indigenous people uh, because when we noun a diagnosis or noun a problem it kind of freezes it and it separates us from the world and most indigenous languages are based on verbs uh, action Mm -hmm. and so everything is in movement and so a very quick example of that is instead of saying uh, there's a man over there or a woman over there, the translation would be manning is happening over there, womaning is happening over there. And, and when we take that to the diagnostic world, and instead of saying you are an alcoholic or you are a major depressive disorder, mm-hmm. uh, we say, what I say is maybe, and it's always probabilistic, maybe the spirit of sadness is visiting you. Mm. Maybe the spirit of alcohol is visiting you, which puts it in movement. And if it's a a probability and and a maybe it's visiting, that means it can shape shift and change Mm. versus if you are the diagnosis, that's a really hard thing to take care of because that's who you are. And then it separates us from each other when we start uh, subject-object, Using that kind of methodology with uh, with human beings, and so that was one of the very early lessons that uh, was given to me <clears throat> by my root teacher, which of course, you know, here I'm studying, taking internships in hospitals, and 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 how do you how do you mix these together when you have a supervisor that doesn't know this stuff, and so that was a uh, a tricky pro- process, mm. and so. Um, <clears throat>
0: <laughs> well, I would imagine it would be a tricky process, especially when you're, when you're when you're when the language you're talking about how it's an active verb. You know, you're you're it's 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 manning. It is something that is in motion, so it's not static. It's in motion, and and when people are moving towards uh, understanding that everything is in motion, that life is constantly in motion. That we are in motion, even when we're sitting down, we're still in motion. There's things that are happening. So if we can get to that kind of an understanding and change our understanding of the language, and we'll start moving into the notion of the soul, the notion of soul wounding. Um, how did your notion of soul wounding and historical trauma develop? Where did it evolve from? Could you explain in more detail? Well, the
1: uh, the notion of soul wounding, uh, I had, to, as an intern, I was asked to come and, uh, and develop a program for a group of uh, tribes or a consortium of tribes. And so I started uh, trying to utilize my Western uh, training, uh, you know, in, with the community, with patients. And uh, luckily for me, they rejected all of it. They <laughs> basically said, no, we don't want you to talk to us like that. Mm. And, of course, I really didn't have anything else to offer. And so uh, I kept trying, you know, I kept trying to use uh, behaviorism, uh, you know. At that time, I was reading Jungian psychology. And the thing that really uh, moved me, and this is going to be a a little bit off the grid for, for people watching and people in the profession, I would be sitting in front of patients and whether it be individual or a couple or a family, and uh, I would start getting the feeling that there was somebody else in the room mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. And and it would only happen when there was patient in front, and once it would leave, then I would stop. And I didn't have a context for that, and it kept getting stronger. The more I would try to understand it psychologically, the stronger it would get, mm-hmm. to where I got worried about my reality testing because of the experience I was having with this whatever it was
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and at the time I mean I couldn't very well attend to it while there was patients in front of me because you know that would be very inappropriate and unethical for me to start saying well what was that when nobody else is seeing anything mm-hmm. and so I had to just be very cool with it and calm but then one day uh, a spiritual uh, native uh, healer uh, Appeared and I knew who he was by description. And uh, he, he was the kind of healer, I guess you call him, he would heal, he was a trance doctor, uh, shaman, which uh, with this individual, you didn't have to tell him your dreams. He would tell you what you dreamed and then he would tell you what it meant. Mm-hmm. So the bar was pretty high and I was really nervous. But I thought, I can't tell my clinical supervisor this experience, but I can tell him. For the simple reason that if he reports me, nobody's going to believe him because he's—they're going to think he's crazier than I am. <laughs> so I told, him, I told him about what I was experiencing, with the hope that he would tell me, you know, it's just my imagination or mm-hmm. I needed to take a break. <laughs> and so when I told him what I was experiencing, he, he he said that well, the reason you're having that experience is because they're there, and of course. I had no context for what that meant, mm-hmm. and then he went on to explain that in a indigenous tradition, a native tradition, that you know, there's a saying that's pretty much all over the world in indigenous communities that everything we do affects seven generations. Mm-hmm. And he and, says, and but in spirit time and soul time, time isn't just linear. Time can move forwards and backwards at the same time. Mm-hmm. So seven generations are also seven generations back. And then he went on to explain that the communities I was working with, between a 30-year period, 80% of the people had been exterminated Uh militarily or with biological warfare, smallpox, and whatnot. So complete tribes had been erased off the face of the earth. And he says because of how the natural law stipulates healing, healing can only happen in the same plane in where the trauma happened. And so what he said was happening is that the ancestors and the unborn ones of the people of the scene were showing up into the session so that they could heal as this individual in the present was healing themselves. And so that was the, uh, what initiated me thinking, because, again, I had no context for that, Mm-hmm. But when I started talking to the patients about that, they said, well, you're finally getting it. That's really what is going on here. Mm-hmm. And when I presented to the uh, health board and all that, they said, well, yeah, this is really what, you, what we want you to develop. We don't want you to just talk about the stuff you're learning in school, because our people's spirit and our, our people's soul has been injured, and until that's healed, uh, then all of these other symptoms on the surface uh, will continue to be, you know, like the depression, alcoholism, suicide, cancer, hypertension, whatever it is, and will continue unless we go deeper into healing the soul, and for that it requires a time shapeshifting, mm-hmm. and uh, and basically a real disruption of rational thinking uh, that is, you know, in the Western paradigm, and and there I am, an intern just out of the military, not too long before that. Where of course everything was structured, and now I'm in a completely unstructured world. To where I literally thought I'm losing it. I I need to just go back into the military, where things make sense, and uh, and and then life can be can go well again. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I didn't, and I stuck with it. But it was a, a very frightening time for me individually because I I, I was totally out of. Uh, out of my realm, mm. or
0: so I thought. Uh, you know, and I think I think that's uh, so appropriate. When so many veterans feel that, you know, once they're once they start getting in tune with the the fact that uh, you know there's there's a there, there's a spirit world out there, and there's a soul world out there, in, in your, and it takes us out of our rational mind. It takes us out of that part where we like to have it logically. We like to have it structured. We like to have it ordered. And all of a sudden, it throws you into a completely different realm, and but it is in that realm that you go deep into that you have to bypass that. Where that's where our healing happens. Healing doesn't really happen unless it's happening in the soul. Um, everything else is just symptom management, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as my personal experience as well. And um, and I love how you how you how you talked about how you know, th- these, what we do affects in uh, the seven generations. I think it was a, many, many indigenous cultures feel that. I, I think I learned of, uh, of a Shoshone elder who talked about the seven generations before and the seven generations after of us are healed once we heal ourselves because it's all happening. Everybody's, that time thing is, has shifted. And from the indigenous perspective, uh, With that understanding, can we pass down our traumas to the next generation? Do our traumas, acts of violence, abuses, need to be appeased and balanced in the spiritual world? For instance, when my studies, uh, Eduardo, I studied a lot of the ancient Greek uh, tradition. And what they called that, that, uh, that violence, it was a pollution. It was called a miasma. And that miasma was a dark, polluting force, and if somebody had sinned, somebody had done some kind of violence towards another human being, it was an evil force, a dark, negative, whatever How energy that would follow you and a family line until that line was appeased. And it was the way they mythologized it was the the ironies, the furies, uh, which were these uh, very dark, harpy-like creatures that would haunt you until you appeased and then they turned into the graces which was the graces of God is this similar or different with regards to how indigenous peoples uh, see trauma
1: well it's very similar and of course that also goes back to the Old Testament you know the sins of the father visited on the third and fourth generation mm-hmm. so it's a very ancient idea and, and that's what really struck me is psychology hasn't read this stuff and brought it into into the you know the pantheon of the work that we do, and when we talk about soul what is really interesting to me and most psychologists don't know this is that the word psychology itself means the study of soul <laughs> yes. like, like, my mind. Yeah. It's like well how come we're not doing that and, yeah. and, and as a graduate student it, it really bothered me that here it, the definition is right in front of us and we're totally missing it and so back to the uh, intergenerational um, yeah it is an energy and, uh, and and the mythology or in the cosmology of native people according to all my teachers have explained to me is that it all starts out in a void where nothing or not even nothing exists mm-hmm. and this kind of is Quantum theory proper, and then of course, then there's uh, emergence of uh, of two things, you know, two particles, whatever, uh, and of course, these are two universes that that are actually emerging, and they're forever in relationship, and and it's that relationship piece that is really important in uh, in what we see as the negative side, where it's the violence, uh, however you want to call it, and, and, if, and in a particular spin that the negative energy has, basically has to be harmonized with the other aspect of the energy. And so, uh, and that's and that's where the healing happens because we don't want to get rid of anything because it goes against the laws of nature. We can't create and destroy energy or matter. Mm-hmm. So we're stuck with that. <laughs> so but what we can do is we can make a relative out of everything, including the so-called sickness, the so-called symptom, the historical trauma, all of it, has to be made into a relative, and uh, and I'm kind of giving you. A, but there's ceremonies also that that teach us how to do that, and and I think in the warrior tradition, uh, some of that ceremonial uh, practice is especially important because that's the only way that we're going to harmonize and and have this destructive energy become a positive energy. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like in the Chinese tradition, uh, it's unthinkable to kill the dragon. Instead, you harness the energy of the dragon that takes you into whatever realms you need to move into with your life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and uh, you know, I, I think there was uh, another um, Native um, uh, Indigenous culture, uh, a teaching that I got from a very dear friend of mine who said that if uh, if we uh, don't make friends with the beast, the, the beast is a propellant. If you don't make friends with it, it will come after you. And so you have to make friends with the beast. You have to make friends with that part that wants to, that is that destructive element within us. And I think, you know, people are lurking for a deeper meaning in understanding why we do some of the things that we do. And we've lost a lot of knowledge, in my opinion, uh, and especially indigenous knowledge. And and one of those things that is uh, that indigenous knowledge is how war is perceived uh, as compared to uh, contemporary culture. Um, Could you describe how war in your writings, you discuss veteran issues as an ongoing process, but you call it a ceremony of war? Could you elaborate a little bit on, on the differences that indigenous cultures perceive of war and what you mean by the ceremony of war?
1: Well, uh, in, in indigenous cosmology, the worldview is that all of it is ceremony. Mm. Every breath is a ceremony. And so if there is war, then that's part of ceremony, you know, the writ large ceremony that is happening in life. Uh, but the ideal war is where the warrior actually, instead of projecting this war into the outside world and to other human beings and onto the earth, because by the way, when we hurt human beings, we hurt the earth also, mm-hmm. because we, that's all we are, is the earth. And so in, in, in that aspect, if we can go deep into the soul and, and make a relative out of that warrior, out of that war, to where it becomes a nurturer, and a self-sacrifice, if need be. And the classic example of that in Indian country is uh, the image of the buffalo, the bison, mm-hmm. which actually uh, consciously and on purpose gives itself for the well-being of the community. Mm-hmm. It presents itself and says, "Here I am, and all I ask you to do." is to do a ceremony on my behalf so I can regenerate and come back and we can do this all over again. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the ceremonies are that cyclical part of life ceremony that engenders life versus having war just to destroy life, Mm -hmm. which is where we're at now with the nuclear weapons and and all of that, To where there's no way if we had that war that we could have a ceremony afterwards to regenerate because there'd be nothing left to regenerate. And so those are the uh, kind of the, the major differences in that. And then, of course, uh, the, the greatest warrior, again, according to Sun Tzu and other traditions, is the one that never has to fight mm-hmm. because if that inner soul, that inner warrior is really at peace and has made peace with that darkness and that light, there's no need for, for war to be externalized. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and of course, in the, even in native traditions up until a couple of hundred years ago, the greatest honor in war was not to go kill a human being, but it was to touch them with your hand. And if you could do that, then you were the ultimate warrior. Wow. But again, it speaks to the relationship that was happening here. When you touch another warrior with your hand, basically what you're doing and there's a ceremony called the killing of the enemy Mm -hmm. but what is being killed here is the idea of the enemy and when we kill the enemy that way then whoever was perceived as the enemy becomes your relative so then you are related it's it's my brother, it's my sister Mm -hmm. and we're no longer because the enemy has died and and wouldn't that be something if uh, five-star generals would go to Afghanistan or wherever and have killing of the enemy ceremonies with the Taliban, mm-hmm. and, and and to where now we'd be related, and uh, and again that that's the making of relatives out of everything is the is is kind of at the core of indigenous thinking because we're not separate from anything to mm-hmm. begin with. And, and it's the ultimate illusion that's been fed human beings, is that we're different, we're separate, mm-hmm. the earth is separate from us, and and that's what's leading us on a self-destruct course. And so I know that's a long answer, but uh, that's...
0: <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, Eduardo, that was uh, a perfect answer. And it, it clearly elucidates how, mm-hmm. you know, when we're able to look at our... Uh, enemies as brothers and and we can make that transition and we can move and and see the sacredness of everything even war even the possibility that war could be a sacred act where it's the movement of um moving from being an enemy to being a brother being an enemy to the interconnectedness of life that we share the, the the ownership of our darkness uh, and, the, and, and taking control of our shadow. And now we're no longer having to be at odds with each other, but we can be in harmony with each other. And we, when all of us are in harmony with each other, we help to heal the planet and we protect all of creation. We, we, we embody the full embodiment of what I believe to be, you know, that is, the, that is what the, the warrior manifestation in its ultimate is, truly is. That's what I think anyway yeah, yeah. Um, now there's a quote in your book, and I love it because <laughs> this book is is phenomenal I absolutely love and his chapter uh, is called "All Conditions Normal and that's working with veterans and it's uh, I, I've got all these highlights in it uh, for all the different places that I was looking and going to be returning back to. And but there is a couple things that I there is a lot of things that I want to talk about. Uh, wish we had you know two hours to be able to talk about it. But in your book you have this really great quote that got me thinking a lot, uh, Eduardo. And it's it's a Sufi saying, and it says, "Never become embittered at the amount of suffering that has been entrusted to you." Oh, my goodness. Wow. I mean, I have to read that again. Never become embittered at the amount of suffering that has been entrusted to you. And this is this is a, a huge idea. And it's really speaking to the idea of of not to waste our suffering, that the suffering that we have gone through has been entrusted to us on some much deeper level. Beyond, beyond our, ment- our, our mentalization of things, beyond our emotionality, it's deeper. And I wanted to ask you, what is this deeper underlying truth behind this saying? And how can these, how can the indigenous teachings help us to make this shift in our mind, body, and soul to not waste our suffering? <clears throat>
1: Yeah, the the notion of suffering, uh, although it's also been sacramentalized in the West via Christianity, for a mysterious reason, uh, suffering uh, is a very sacred act of ceremony. And uh, most Native ceremonies uh, that are even practiced today uh, require suffering I mean they are really hard on the physical body I mean to where yeah it takes you to death's door and maybe beyond because it's understood that that is the the law way of balancing itself and, and uh, you know when you look at Christianity with profound suffering mm-hmm. there's no redemption I mean so the rules apply there also it's not just the native way uh, the, the problem, though, that I, that I see is that that's re- regressed and been repressed back into the unconscious,
2: mm.
1: to where we don't know that that's happening. And when we look at warrior tradition, the true warrior, then, can take that up on themselves and say, yes, just like when a warrior goes to war, it requires an affirmative, because yes, I'm going, and I'm going for this purpose, because that's who I am.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the same thing with suffering because going to war is suffering. So the warrior is saying, I am going to go suffer on behalf of the people here, of the community. Mm-hmm. And if it costs life, then that's also fine because that's that's the suffering that I'm willing to give to you. Unfortunately, that is never spelled out. You know, you're drafted or you sign up mm-hmm. and you go to boot camp and uh, the craziness happens. Now it's all been repressed. And of course, then it becomes, you know, trauma and soul injury and, and all those other things. Mm-hmm. And and so the idea of uh, purposely giving that suffering on behalf of others uh, has become one of the mainstays of the work I do, not just with veterans. And, and uh, very early on, a lot of years ago, uh, it was actually at a conference that a veteran approached me, Vietnam veteran, and uh, he'd been suffering for a lot of years he had lost the body part in Vietnam, yeah. and you know he had gone through therapy, gone through all kinds of things, but he was still angry. He was still not feeling well, depressed, anxious, and you know. And in just a few minutes that we had a break, I said, "Well, why don't you, in your in your mind, in in your spiritual time, shapeshift, go back to this place in Vietnam where." that body part was taken, Mm -hmm. and instead of having it taken, why don't you give it willingly for the well-being of other people, of other veterans, of other people. Mm -hmm. Just give it willingly. And it was an immediate shift in his everything. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh my gosh, I can do that. Now it becomes an act of a warrior, not a victim, because now well, that's what warriors do you know just like the buffalo that goes and sacrifices so now his body part that uh, was in vietnam for however many years became a, a blood flesh offering for the healing of the earth mm-hmm. of human beings the vietnamese whoever can partake of that healing and uh, and so that spoke to me really deeply is like something that simple, that didn't require three years of therapy, just <laughs> right. that this guy. It catapulted him into a whole other place. And so I've been using it with uh, civilians, you know, all the diagnoses, whether it's diabetes or cancer or whatnot, mm-hmm. to where instead of being a victim of whatever is the suffering to be conscious about it and give it as a as an act of ceremony mm-hmm. which to native people that makes intuitive sense right away because all native ceremony requires that mm-hmm. and so I, I say things well this could become like your sundance. so you can be sun dancing every day of the year not just four days because of the suffering you're giving mm-hmm. and so uh, that has become something that has been very real and uh and, and, and veterans really appreciate that take mm-hmm. to where instead of uh, some terrible thing happening to them. And then I also tell them, well, well bro or sis, you, you signed the contract when you came in here that you were gonna do this, so you did it, and so now let's move forward with this and, and, and be who you are. And uh, it's interesting, because a lot of times they look at me and they say, "Man." How do you know this? It's intuitively, they already know this. Right. It's not a mystery, and it just resonates with what their soul already knows. So when they when they tell me that, I know that they already know. And not just Native veterans. I mean, uh, veterans of all colors. They have a soul, mm-hmm. and so that's how the soul seems to resonate with what we're doing here.
0: Yeah. Well, and I always like to point out when we're, uh, when I, when we're talking about uh, the issue of the soul and, and soul injuries on the show, the soul uh, predates religion, comes way before religion, <laughs> it comes way, it, it's existed. Uh, it was before we, any of us ever walked on the planet, the soul was this. And so we all have it. We're all connected to it. And the, the, the language of the soul resonates when we hear truth. When we hear the truth from the soul, I don't care from what ethnicity, yeah. background, culture, society, what, we, we recognize it. The soul recognizes it. When we don't know how we know this, but we know it. Just like the, the yeah. vets that are saying it to you, I don't know how I know this, but I know it. And it's because it's, it's, we're tapping into the truth of the soul that lives in all of us. Um. And in your book, you talk about this, and you know, we talk about moral injury here. And I loved how you describe it as the injury where blood doesn't flow. Uh, I think that could you uh, explain it in more detail, what it means and how it relates to uh, PTSD and moral injury for our listeners out there?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of years ago, uh, you know, the, the letters PTSD. Uh, when you say those letters, uh, it, it doesn't have uh, an affect image to it. It's it just code. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. And mm-hmm. so this other brother who was better from Korean War, he'd been blinded, he became a psychologist. One day I was uh, talking to him, and I said, well, what, what do you think, man? How, how, what does this really mean? So he went and talked to his elders, and that's the words they told him. Uh, that uh, when we say that somebody has this PTSD, it's really an injury where blood doesn't flow, Mm -hmm. meaning that this is not in a physical body per se, but it's at the deeper layers of soul and spirit Mm -hmm. that get uh, thrown off kilter. I mean, to say traumatized, you know, that puts it, but it's basically kind of the, the spinning, Of soul in harmony with with the cosmology of the universe Mm -hmm. Uh, in those instances where the spirit of violence the spirit of anger interfere it kind of shapeshifts the spin of that Mm -hmm. and so what needs to happen is we need to go back in and harmonize so that now it's spinning in 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 the way that the great mystery intended this to spin from the beginning before there was anything in the void, mm-hmm. and as it emerges from the void, comes through the dream time, the black world, and into what we call the plant world, which is where we live, mm-hmm. the ego world. And by the time it's an ego world, it's all distorted. Mm-hmm. And so if we use terms like PTSD, it adds to the distortion, mm-hmm. because the soul says, what the hell is that? And that doesn't mean anything. Right. but. Injury where blood doesn't flow, the, the soul instantly, yeah, now that's, that means something. Because we have a picture and somebody told me at a conference that there's parts of the brain where blood cannot flow, huh. uh, you know, because then it would be dangerous. And so I guess there's also physiological, neurological reasons for that. But uh, that's something to say with me and uh, Brother Don, who's in the spirit world now. Uh, Yeah, that was a great gift that his elders gave him, Mm -hmm. and then he passed on to me. And uh, yeah, just an amazing uh, person, you know, with all that had happened to him, to where he could still work in the work that we do, and still have humor and all of that, because you know, he he had dealt with that injury where blood doesn't flow.
0: Well and and when I read that it, it resonated so deeply uh, and it was during my healing of uh, of, of P T S of the uh, of the injury where the blood doesn 't flow that it was the terminology it was the active language that I heard in my when I was working with soldiers heart uh, the, there was another phrase, "The spirit has left him, and I think that was another indigenous terminology, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, yes, I remember the feeling, the sensation." of an emptiness inside of me. And my, it was as if my spirit had fled and it, would, it was, it was afraid to come back into my body again, you know, it didn't want to. And it wasn't until I got the language because I was thought I was crazy, <laughs> thought I was, but it was the indigenous language, the native American language that helped me to go, wait, that's, that's exactly what happened to me. That's what, that's what it is. And I, and, and it, it allowed me not to think that there was something wrong with me, but allowed me to investigate and to go deeper into understanding moral injury, how our conscience and our soul is connected, and soul guilt, you know, how, and what soul guilt is. I was wondering if you could elaborate for us a little bit about what is soul guilt. Is this real and, and how does it manifest? How does it show up uh, in our lives?
1: Um, well, you know, soul guilt, and that's become kind of the uh, in vogue thing now with the VA, of course, you're calling it moral injury, you know, which is really refreshing to to hear that. And again, you know, the teachings, when when we go out of balance here in the plant world and we distort the sacredness of, uh, of life, uh, there's an aspect of us that knows that we did that. And... unless we're you know in ceremony where we're brought back to wholeness which most of the time you know we don't have that Mm -hmm. then the only way the soul has to try to bring us back is to give us symptoms Mm -hmm. and so then this is where the soul starts saying hey you know uh, you did something that was really against the natural law you know you were involved in taking human life Mm -hmm. for no reason because uh, you know and now you need to do something about that. You need to balance out the equation here. Mm-hmm. And, and my saying first law of the universe that I tell all my patients is that there's no free lunch.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Meaning everything has to be balanced in the universe. Mm-hmm. And so you either pay consciously or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And so the the idea here then is to is to take that symptom and then to honestly look at what it is what it is that you have done and try to balance that out. Mm-hmm. In yourself, but also in in the world somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've talked to some of our traditional healers who have worked with, the, especially the Vietnam veterans, where a lot of nightmares, a lot of suffering, a lot of alcoholism, other substance abuse. And when they go into ceremony, they say, well, we see all these people around you. And, uh, and they need uh, for you to do something for them. And uh, one of the brothers, he actually went all the way back to Vietnam to the village where he was involved in. And he took his altar, you know, his sacred altar, which happened to be a pipe. Mm -hmm. And uh, he smoked that with the elders. And and they had forgiveness ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And then he gave something, you know, he he worked for them, he gave them something back. And so mysteriously, the symptoms uh, started uh, calming down. And so uh, when I talk about soul guilt, I mean, again, you know, that's the essence of most of the major religions is mm-hmm. that we need to balance that out. And uh, the other thing with, with soul guilt, and this is something that I discovered in my own process, in my own therapy at the VA, where I was really stuck with PTSD and PTSD. And man, come on, I do this work for a living and, mm-hmm. and this isn't right. And, uh, and then slowly, you know, start realizing that something feeds the PTSD. Once you release some of the PTSD energy, mm-hmm. if you go with the soul guilt, what that does, it just feeds back into the So now you're back into PTSD mode. Mm-hmm. And so now if you're working on the moral injury and not the PTSD, well, the PTSD will feed the moral injury. So it becomes an endless cycle mm-hmm. of energy because it's all energy flowing one into the other, and uh, and if we don't really deal with it, that's what I think develops the hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Because I you know I develop hopelessness that I'm doing everything right. I mean, I got a Ph.D. in this stuff. I've been curing people for years, and now uh, I'm at the VA. You know, every time I you know I get an appointment and I understand all of it with my head
2: yeah. but still
1: and, and, and so in writing uh, the chapter especially uh, it, it started uh, falling into place for me that this is really what's going on here and, and uh, yeah because I had put it away for a long time thinking uh, I'm done with this stuff you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm cured and I'm good to <laughs> go now and, uh, and, and there's another, another dream happens and another something. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, there's got to be an end to this. And, yeah. and, and so there, there can be, if we harmonize the energy.
0: I agree. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I learned to, uh, in my healing and, and, and your book and, and what you just said right now, uh, it makes sense. The idea of balancing, that uh when those moments that feedback loop that I, as I was getting away from the you know the 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 symptoms of the of the p t s d and then all of a sudden that moral injury, the conscience, the sense of guilt or self betrayal or betrayal or whatever it would come, and then it so it was just recycling, and so it was like I was caught in this. And it was once I started to learn that I needed to balance myself and to get into that law and started understanding more and more about the natural laws, the spiritual laws, the, lo- the laws of the universe, and how do I allow my soul <clears throat> to get larger and bigger than the events that had happened in my life, uh, which I think is exactly what you're talking about uh, in being able to not waste your suffering, <laughs> to not let your suffering go to waste. And boy, I would love for you to talk about how, you know, talk about suffering, not going to waste. One of the purposes behind our program is to help to reduce suicide, uh, especially veteran suicide, because so many veterans are are committing suicide every day. And we want to bring that down as much as we can, if not completely. Uh, And you have such a unique way of discussing and talking about uh, suicide. And it was it was a breath of fresh air. In how you described it. And I was wondering if you could give us a a theoretical and a clinical discussion on how you understand this most important issue that is costing so many lives today. Uh, And also, could you say something about the collective societal implications of warrior suicide?
1: Yeah, and the the whole notion of suicide... um, uh, also, working in Native community early on, in uh, you know, the Native community, we have one of the highest incidences mm-hmm. of, uh, of suicide, yeah. even though we might know a lot of this stuff. And, and so what started, again, from the teachings of my root teacher, basically getting what is really at the bottom of it. And of course, like everything else, uh, suicide is a spiritual entity. You know, it's just like anger, violence, all of that. These are actual spiritual entities that we need to be in relationship with. And so when the spirit of suicide, which is a symptom, uh, emerges, basically what it's telling the person, the veteran, is uh, you need to completely transform yourself. But in the plant world ego, since we haven't been taught all of these things, uh, spiritual teachings, what the ego interprets that as is, well, I know how to uh, completely transform everything by just leaping, getting rid of this, this existence, and then it'll transform. And, and I tell people, veterans, I tell them, yeah, that will happen. You will transform everything completely. But then it's not, it's, it's not a real transformation or it's a change. You're just not here. and and the gig here is to be able to transform and become something else and the natural law says that in order to do that it requires a death so you need to die in order to become new and of course that's part of the Christian Mm -hmm. you know Christian teachings all the religions of the world teach about the death and rebirth idea Mm -hmm. and when we plant a garden we have to put the seed in the ground otherwise you're not going to have a new plant and so uh, I also, you know, I, I tell people when they're talking about suicide, I say, right now, we, you need to give the spirit of suicide an offering. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't give a conscious offering, it might take an unconscious offering, which means you kill yourself. And so instead, why don't you have a conversation with the spirit of suicide, mm-hmm. give it something, whether it's tobacco, food, water, and identify yourself. And this goes for all of the other uh, diagnoses, whether it's depression, anxiety, alcoholism. There's a protocol on how to do this. And I tell people, what you do is you identify yourself to the spirit of suicide. say, this is my name. And you tell it your parents' name, your grandparents' name. Go back as far as you can go. Then you ask the spirit of suicide, well, what's your name? Mm-hmm. You know, who sent you? And who are your parents? Mm-hmm. Who are your grandparents? Who are your great grandparents? And then you give it a gift, mm-hmm. and now you're in relationship with it. The natural law says it cannot not answer you, and so now is when you really need to be attentive to your dreams, mm-hmm. synchronistic phenomena, because that spirit of suicide will absolutely tell you what is here that it wants you to transform into. Mm-hmm. And if you just kill yourself, then you wasted the whole, whole thing. Mm-hmm. And from what I know, in a lot of ways of, of understanding death and life, then you just have to come back and pick it up, left it. And, and now that would be really depressing <laughs> because you could be done with this this time around. Yeah, And so that's yeah. a real encouragement to, to people. It's like, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. I might as well. I because you're going to die anyway soon mm-hmm. enough. And so might as well do it the right way do it the warrior way yeah. and, uh, and to be able to move through that suffering and just imagine what will happen when you transform into whatever it is that you came here to do yeah. you will provide all kinds of medicine for the world or whatever your task here is in the first place and then also tell people who are you know, really thinking about it seriously I say, and, uh, and right now you really don't know how to do this killing yourself thing so I, I need your word that if you want to kill yourself, you're going to come in here and you're going to do it with me wow. because you don't know how to do it. And 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 if you do it with me, then maybe I can show you the best way to do that, which, of course, is weird enough to be interesting because they're like, what the hell? Man? <laughs> <laughs> and so but then, you know, that's the contract, is that I'll help you do a death and rebirth process, mm-hmm. which of course, psyche then picks it up, don't have dreams of death and dying and all that. Yeah. And, uh, and now the death has happened, but it's happening consciously. And uh, my understanding of the, so many warriors killing themselves is that our society needs a huge transformation. Mm-hmm the world that we live in needs to be transformed into something else because the world's soul has been made sick Mm -hmm. by the actions of human beings. And again, it's up to the warriors to take that transformation up front. Mm -hmm. But because the warriors haven't been told that that's what needs to happen, uh, the distorted ego interprets transformation as a suicide of the physical body, Mm -hmm. when in reality, we need to have a, a transformation uh, a mass spiritual suicide of the world to where now the world can emerge as a new uh, as a new being transformed being mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with killing the body because killing the body uh, really wastes the suffering up to that point mm-hmm. and again you know that's a very sacred thing and it should be honored and not wasted mm-hmm. and uh, i know i said a lot there that it's Pretty off the cuff, but yeah, I think that the words need to be said because that's how I understand it, and how I've been working with it for mm-hmm. quite a while. And uh, and so far, you know, veterans and civilians seem to really understand it when we talk about transformation.
2: Yeah, and
1: especially we make it real in the session. Where I say, "Well, talk to the spirit of suicide," and people say, you "Mean right now." I say, "Well, yeah," and then they get scared, and then they get scared. And I said, "Well, what? Why are you scared? You're contemplating doing this thing, and are you scared to talk to it?" And so then I facilitate, and you know, and this is where I usually bring in ceremonial stuff, you know, and I'll I usually burn some smoke, so that I can tell the person, you know, this this smoke will bless the conversation, will bless your relationship. With that energy mm-hmm. and and then of course i if they don 't have sweetgrass or sage i I make a joke about it to them, and then I give them some so they can take that into their home mm-hmm. and they can continue blessing the spirit of sadness, the spirit of suicide, hopelessness, all of that, and so then it goes with them
0: mm-hmm. well, and they have a <clears throat> a personal relationship with this it's it, it, you 've personalized these things so now they can do something with it and it's an active agent in their life not just something that's lingering in the unconscious in the black world that actually has control over them because what we don't make conscious actually is controlling us that which is, r- remains in our unconscious if we can make it conscious then we can do something about it then we can get control over it i love the process I love it, Edward. I wish, I wish I would have known this when I was on uh, teetering on the edge. It would have made such a difference because it was uh, to personalize it in that way. Uh, would have made sense to me uh, in those dark moments. So I appreciate it so, so very much because those are words of truth. I think.
1: Yeah, and and, and the people that are hearing this, even though they might think it's really crazy and insane, if they're about to, to do, you know think of committing suicide, they, you can't unhear the words I said. Mm -hmm. So if nothing else, it'd be like, what the hell did that crazy old Indian guy say? (laughs) And and then that becomes a little bit of an interference. Yes. And to identify myself, and so by thinking that, they're already doing that. They're saying hello to the spirit. And spirit, the natural law says that when you say hello, Mm
2: -hmm. it
1: has to say hello back. Cannot not do anything else. (laughs) That's the way the universe is wired. Yeah. And so I call these, uh, what I'm talking about, I call them OITs. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that's an old Indian trick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what is a trick? What is it? What is the? OIT. OIT.
1: Yeah, it's like old, old Indian, Indian trick, country. got it. Oh, I got it now. <laughs> yeah, because in the military,
0: everything
1: right. is acronyms. That's right? all the
0: acronyms. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was so caught up with this idea, uh, uh, so that's why I missed it. Um, I, I, Eduardo, I can't believe we're at, uh, at 2 o'clock right now. I, oh I do God. It's unbelievable. I want to give you a couple more questions. We're going to go over, if it's all right, just about uh, five more minutes because there's a couple questions I would like to have you ask before we close. Uh, I do want to let everyone know that this is a special uh, council um, uh, edition. We are in partnership with the Trauma Sensitive Awareness Foundation. Uh, We are doing a special 10-part series uh, from July 24th through September 25th. This is information, hope, and inspiration and healing for our veterans and all of their loved ones. We're exploring cutting edge treatments and alternative therapies, hearing pioneering veterans and mental injury experts. We're finding hope for PTS, TBI, moral injury, sleep disturbance, family conflict, emotional trauma, and more. Part two debuts in November at www.t-saf.org. Again, that's T-S-A-F dot And just want to also give a quick shout out to KUHS, Denver. Thank you, Henry, and everybody here who has made this possible. Uh, and we are broadcasting live here in Denver, Colorado, broadcasting all across the nation and all across the world. Thank you for all of you who tune in every week to the council. It is an honor and a privilege to be your host and for trusting me to uh, to bring you the best that I can find out there for you to help you to uh, to bring you hope to bring you healing to bring you some some inspiration um, eduardo before we close i 'd like for you to see to say just a few words. You have a, a beautiful, beautiful practice of wellness that you suggest in this book for veterans, and you know I thought these were some words of hope and healing that you could share from that. Uh, daily practice that could really, really help them. And then the last thing is um, I always ask my guests before we close out, if you could give one piece of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be?
1: Well, uh, okay, so to the uh, to kind of the, the, the regimen, I mean, basically it's, you know, in the military we, we all have Plan of the day and all that but to to sacramentalize and ceremonialize your life all the way from waking up and like the admiral says make your bed <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> but, but but make it with with that intention that this is ceremony you know you know this is a samurai practice it has to be right yes. and then uh, if you live in a place where you can see the sunrise to go and greet it and, and say hello again give it an offering and then to you know to to prepare food again ceremonially to where you, you you're blessing the spirit of the food mm-hmm. to where you're you're taking that food and to every little thing that you do whether you know getting in the car and driving to work or or whatever it is you do but to do it with an attitude of ceremony and it helps to to carry stuff on your person like tobacco or food that you can uh, leave offerings mm-hmm. to the trees, to wherever you walk so that you know you can ceremonialize your life. And uh, the one thing of advice that I, I give all communities, and I always say if you don't believe anything I've said here or could care less, uh, listen to your dreams mm-hmm. and, uh, and your dreams will guide you. And, uh, and I know there's a question, uh, it was something on nightmares. And if you're having nightmares, those are the best ones. Don't try to get rid of the nightmares. Uh, give them an offering and ask them what it is that they want. Cool. Go back into the dream and talk to the dream because the dream is an entity. And it's that dream that will guide your healing process. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can only do a little bit from the outside and cheer you on, but that's how the soul talks to us, is through dreams. Mm-hmm. And dreams is the oldest medicine on the planet. Our religions that we have in, in the world, everything that we practice comes from visions and dreams, because mm-hmm. that is a direct channel back to the great mystery from even before the time that there was even a void where nothing exists. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so, yeah, that's kind of um, the.
0: Yeah. Eduardo, it has been an honor, sir. Thank you. Same. Thank you. Thank
1: you for doing this.
0: Uh, it is. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. An, I'm humbled and honored to be doing this uh, in more ways than you could possibly know. And uh, to thank you for gracing us with your presence and your teaching, everyone. It's healing the soul wound. Uh, you can purchase it uh, on his website, which is soulhealing16.com. That's S O U L. Healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, the number 16.com. And it could be purchased on Amazon.
1: It's on Amazon. Amazon. It's yeah.
0: on Amazon. Amazon is the best place, yeah. So Amazon.com, it's fantastic. Couldn't recommend it more. Folks, we will be back uh, with you in a week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the council. Uh, the council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless everyone. See you next week.
1: Oh.